presentations in an easy-to-use app. Go to headspace.com slash box. I'm Paranormal Pete, and I'm on a journey to seek answers to the questions that have crossed all of our minds. What happens to us when we die? Is there an afterlife? I'm a regular guy who discovered the gift of psychic mediumship in my 30s. My passion for history and the unknown have put me right here, right now. My mantra for anything paranormal is, we don't know much and anything is possible. Join me as we find our way through the stories, evidence, and experiences of the paranormal and beyond in search of answers, even if that leads to more questions. Are you with me? This is so cool. Um, I'm really looking forward to doing this show. It's going to be every Tuesday night, 8 p.m. Pacific Time, 11 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, I want to thank Todd Bates with Haunted Voices in the WLTK station for giving me the opportunity to join the family here. Uh, There's a lot of great shows, and I hope everyone will check them out uh, each week. So there's lots of great programming on the station but uh, thanks to Todd for the opportunity, and uh, now i got to follow Haunted Voices. <laughs> but uh, welcome, everybody. And uh, again, my name's Pete, and this show, I'm really kind of hoping that, uh, you know, we can bring some awesome guests each week, people who are active in the paranormal fields. I want to bring you guys cool stories uh, and experiences of the paranormal and beyond the paranormal. Um you know, I'm really, I just want to bring everybody stuff that they can learn from and have some fun while we're doing it. Um, you know, life's about continually learning, right? And, uh, you know, so that's what I'm hoping for. That's kind of the journey that I'm on is, is always learning. And I think we all are in a way. And, uh, you know, we all have those questions, you know, for the unknown, things that we can't explain. And I think everybody has got a little bit of curiosity about that. So I'm hoping to bring the Bring the curiosity and also some thoughts. Uh, even though we may talk about some pretty deep subjects at some point, the goal is to have some fun. I really want this show to be interactive. Um, so everybody listening out there, you can go to the station chat at WLTKDB.com. That's WLTKDB.com. And uh, join in the chat there. And uh, if you have questions, you know, anytime through the show, if you have questions, um, go ahead and put it up on the chat there, and I'll do my best to answer it. Um, <clears throat> but I want it to be interactive. As we kind of get farther and farther along, I'm uh, going to invite people to share their experiences, you know, through chat. Um, you know, if you have something going on in your house, going bump in the night, you know, let's let's uh, talk about it. Let's uh, think about it, and maybe um, we'll get some answers. Um, so I want this to be an interactive show, and I'm hoping to. Um, and don't forget that if you can't listen the whole time, that's okay. 
there's an archive on WLTKDB.com. And so you can always catch the show um, the next day. And it also goes on all the major podcast streaming services as well. So tonight, for my first show, I thought I would kind of introduce myself and share my story. Um, and maybe there's some of you out there that have gone through a similar experience. And I feel like mine, mine gets real weird um, at some point. So, But I thought I'd share my story. And then uh, for the second hour tonight... Uh, we're going to be talking about this place that I'm in right now. And I would say that this place grew me in the haunted soil here. Uh, it's a place called Port Gamble, Washington. And it's uh, basically across Puget Sound from Seattle and a little bit north. And um, it's just a neat historic town. The newest house here in town is built in 1919. Um, so everything's historic. It's a National Historic Landmark District. And so we'll be talking about that, and I've uh, got some audio uh, that we'll be playing as well once um, I'm going to kind of go through and talk about different stories, the building, some of the history is really interesting, and then, um, you know, share some of the evidence as well. So, um, but yeah, so I wanted to just introduce myself to everybody tonight. Um, some of you may know me already, but uh, I live and work in Port Gamble, very lucky um, in that sense, to be able to live and work here in such a cool place. Um, I've lived in Port Gamble since 2007, and I've been working for the company that owns the town since 2011. So you heard that right. It's a company-owned town. And uh, I've been doing paranormal investigation and research since 2011. Um, always had an interest in it. I mean, who didn't love Ghostbusters growing up, right? Um so I always had an interest in it, but, uh, you know, it was really coming to Port Gamble that kind of set things in motion uh, in my life. Um, growing up, you know, I'd say uh, I had a, a regular childhood, I had a good childhood. Um, you know, I didn't have anything crazy happening. I was very fortunate to grow up in a house um, where science fiction was was king. <laughs> a lot of science fiction stuff. So very early age. I think the first movie I ever saw in a theater was Empire Strikes Back and uh, not to date myself, but I was maybe a year, maybe not even a year old. Um, so I grew up with Star Wars and Star Trek and, and various different science fiction. And, um, you know, always, I always thought there was more. I always thought there was more to what's being seen. And, you know, I, I think having that open-mindedness always encouraged imagination. Now, whether it's always imagination or something else, well, I didn't figure any of that out until later in life. Um, so, but, you know, I just had a regular childhood. I, I'm a musician. I've been playing instruments since uh, five, six years old. Um, funny fact, I played tuba for like 12 years, <laughs> um, but, uh, so I grew up as a musician and, uh, I think a future show topic is going to be music and psychic mediumship. Um, so I, I, there's, I have a lot of thoughts on that, but I think it's quite interesting, but so I've always uh, been a musician, uh, currently playing a band now called Steady Rock Cosmonaut. 
and uh, give the give my bandmates some props here. Uh, the theme music for the show here is uh, from our debut album called The Sleeper Awakens, and it's the song called Magic. I just love that song. And uh, you can go to steadyrockcosmonaut.com if you want to get the album or check or preview it and check it out. Um, but thanks, uh, thanks guys for letting me use the song. Um, so yeah, I th- you know, I feel like I had a pretty regular, regular growing up. I feel like a regular guy, um, got an awesome wife, Molly, and I got two amazing little girls, um, keep me on my toes, if you know what I mean. Um, so, you know, it's felt like a regular guy. And when I started in Port Gamble, uh, you know, living here, I had an experience I'll tell you guys about in a little bit. Uh, but then when I started working for the town, um, the former town manager had started these events, he had ghost walk tours. And uh, then it was very quickly asked among the staff, you know, who wants to take these over? Uh, who wants to take over the ghost walks? Because they're usually at night, because um, ghosts only come out at night, right? <laughs> um, that's a joke. Um so I said, well, I'll do it. You know, the, the history, um, the history of this place really is it just intrigued me right from the get go. And, um, you know, so I started doing the ghost walks and I see a question in chat and I'll, I'll get, I'll be able to answer that here pretty quick. Um, so I started doing the ghost walks and when I started doing these ghost walks, you know, I was, I would say an open skeptic to psi activity, paranormal activity. Um, you know, I was, I was open to it because I feel like I've had experiences growing up, but I wanted, you know, that piece of audio. I wanted that, um, you know, photo or a video clip of, of something unexplainable. And so I wanted to have that tangible evidence, um, which keep in mind, evidence isn't proof. It's just evidence. But I still wanted that piece of evidence. So I was an open skeptic. And it took about one season of doing the ghost walk tours uh, where I started really leaning towards the believer side of things. Um, where then it, it's hard to be skeptical when you, you just know it. You just believe in it. And that goes across all spectrums in life, religion and everything. When you believe in something, you just you just know it. You just know it to be true, Right. And so I'd say one season of the ghost walk tours uh, made me a believer. And, you know, how many of you out there would classify yourself? Have you even thought about this before? Uh, How many of you out there would consider yourself an open skeptic or a believer? You know, if you haven't thought about that, take a minute, you know, and think about that. What are you? How would you classify yourself? Um, And kind of the other you know, category that I don't think I ever really fell in was a skeptic. And, you know, when you're on a team investigating, um, you know, with the team dynamic and everything, you've got to have skeptics. And I always tell that to people, uh, especially if they're starting a team or looking to join a team, make sure there's skeptics on that team, because those are the people that they're going to critically think about all any activity that seems to happen and they're going to be the ones looking for other answers other explanations and you gotta have that um so i would say you know i'll admit i don't think i was ever in the skeptic category um 
maybe some of you are, and you are the MVPs of paranormal investigating teams, <laughs> the skeptics. So don't uh, don't poo-poo any any skeptics out there. They're needed. Um, so anyways, I started doing the ghost walk tours and just had a lot of experiences. And I'll share some of those um, coming up in the second hour. Um, and then I saw, I saw that there was a need. There was you know a demand that people were interested in getting a deeper look into you know, more than just a tour. And so I started um, special investigations, which are public investigations. And I think I started those in 2012. And it gave people the opportunity to come in and learn about some of the equipment, maybe how to approach a location and that sort of thing. So it's, it's always been fun, um, you know, helping at least try and steer people in a, in a good direction um, to keep them interested and, and always learning, right? We're always going to come back to, we're always learning. And, uh, you know, that led me to the Port Gamble Ghost Conference. And so when I started working here in 2011, that was the second ghost conference. So they had done the first one the year before I started working here. And so I, I got thrown right in the fire um, my, my first year. Um, working and it was the second ghost conference and I was just blown away and I I was working the conference so I was helping you know organize all the tickets and registrations and lanyards um, you know all the dirty work that goes on behind the scenes uh, with putting together a conference but I was just blown away by all the different people that I got to meet and looking back I mean, that is the best part about a conference, right? Is meeting people with shared experiences, hearing their stories, hearing their perspective on things, hearing a lot of different perspectives that I didn't necessarily believe in or put much stock in. And so then I just kind of uh, worked my way up and and took over as as conference coordinator. And um, I've been doing that ever since. Um, this year, we just had our 11th annual Port Campbell Ghost Conference, although, you know, 2020 dumpster fire, um, it was all virtual this year, but it was still a lot of fun. And, uh, and I learned a lot by putting a, a virtual conference on um, and still had a lot of fun. And so the, the question from chat was what led me to host the Port Campbell Ghost, Ghost Conference? Well, it was it was really doing the ghost walks and the special investigations and just my interest in it, you know, really motivated me to, to work hard at it. And so, you know, maybe I was meant to, um, I'm still working on that one. Um, but that's, that's what led it to me is, is the tours and, um, the special investigations. Now through the conference, I met a lot of amazing people and have made some, I think, lifelong friends. And I think anybody who's been to uh, some sort of paranormal conference can probably say the same thing. Uh, I made some lifelong friends. Like I said before, it's, you know, when you get to a place and you can, you're not considered weird and crazy because of the experiences that you've experienced in your life. Uh, it can do wonders. It's it can it can really help somebody out. You know, just hearing other people talk about the same kind of experiences they've had. And so I encourage you, uh, wherever you're at out there um, listening, if there's a, a paranormal conference in your region, 
try and go to it if you've never been. Check it out. Uh, if it's a virtual one, that saves a lot of money. You don't have to travel. Um, so, you know, keep an eye out for paranormal conferences out there. It's it's a lot bigger deal than, than I think uh, people think about just on the surface. It's it, You can learn so much. Um, and ours here, you know, I'm just, we're just doing our 11th annual and uh, it's it's still a lot of fun. We get to investigate some of the businesses here in town. Will in Port Gamble will open up and let us do an investigation. And, and you know, it's not an it's not an exact it's not a like a, a case study type investigation or even a regular like private home investigation. It's more of get in there, see what you feel, take some readings on meters, record your data you know, see what you get. And we've actually had some pretty interesting evidence come out of the ghost conference, um, even in, even in a crowded house. And uh, if you can believe that, um, but it's just a lot of fun to be able to kind of expand more. Now, most of the time I have access to the Walker Ames, uh, house here in Port Campbell. And so that's where I've spent most of my time. And I think I've spent, it's got to be over 650 hours in there. I tried to figure it out one time, but, uh, you know, that's a place that I, I always have had access to and been able to spend a lot of time in there over the years, um, doing what I call observing and absorbing, um, you know, taking in the space. Um, some of the guests on the last show were talking about, you know, pay attention to your surroundings. So I just, I, you know, a lot of times I just go in and do that, but, uh, I've been super lucky. Trust me, I count my lucky stars all the time. Um, really been super lucky about um, coming to this cool little old town. And, you know, it, it looks like New England here. So it's like a step back in time. And, and I feel like uh, I was drawn here. I think I was supposed to come here. But, uh Anyways, you know, just go look for paranormal conferences if you can. And um, we're going to be taking a break here in a couple minutes. But uh, so that's kind of where I'm at today. I, you know, lead the ghost conference and special investigations and ghost walk tours. So that's kind of where I'm at today. Um, And it's this place has changed my life. And I'm wondering if any of you have had a place that's changed your life um, through paranormal research, camaraderie, whatever it is. Um, this place is, you know, put a different perspective on on my life. That's for sure. Um, still feel like a regular guy, but um, there's some weirdness too, <laughs> which uh, we're going to be getting that into that next. But. Uh, um, I just love this this town, and I hope that anybody who can in the in the future, if you can make it out to Seattle area, wherever you're coming from, hop a ferry boat across and uh, come out to uh, come out to Port Campbell. Um, you know, over the years, uh, I've been on a couple of different teams, and probably the one I learned so much of about investigation. Uh, and all that is uh, Olympic Peninsula Paranormal Society. And we're going to get into that next. Right now, it's 21 past the hour, and we're going to pay the bills here, folks. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back on WLTKTV.com. 
stations in the world. We're one of them. We are controlling transmission. WLTK DB. Let's talk. Alternative Talk Radio. WLTKDB.com. Maggie Reiki is a full-service Reiki therapy center offering both in-person and distance Reiki sessions. Reiki is a gentle healing energy that can assist in clearing, repairing, and maintaining energy that is vital for optimal health. Reiki can also assist with anxiety, depression, and even addiction. You can schedule a Reiki session by visiting our website, www.mackeyreiki.com. That's www.m-a-c-k-e-y-r-e-i-k-i.com. Patreon is a place for creators. We're one of them. Visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash WLTKDB. Check out all the unique support tiers we offer. You can get early release episodes, station mugs and t-shirts, free station service work, and much more. Help the station reach its $1,000 per month goal to make our station totally ad-free. Patreon.com slash WLTKDB. We appreciate your support. Ever wanted to host your own radio show? If your answer is yes, then the time to act is now. WLTKDB Let's Talk is now accepting new programming more affordable than ever. You create the show idea and we'll take care of the rest. Not only do we create your program intro and provide broadcast training, but also syndicate you to popular outlets like Apple and Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and more. You get all of this starting at 100 bucks per month. Three packages to choose from and built to make your wallet happy. Contact us at WLTKDB.com with your show idea and let's bring your dream to life. All topics accepted and you have full rights to your program. Contact us today and reserve your spot on WLTKDB Let's Talk. What are you waiting for? Let's do this. Well, they say that you're- Welcome back to the Paranormal Peak Show with your host, Peter Orbea. It's 24 past the hour, and we're going to get digging in here. Uh, we had a question, another question on the chat. Appreciate the uh, people submitting chat questions. That's awesome. Uh, the question is, are the experiences all good? <clears throat> Aren't the ghosts or spirits needing to cross over? And that's a great question. Um, I would say, you know, at least at Port Gamble, most of the experiences are good. There's a couple of grumpies. I call them grumpies because they just, you know, they don't feel like nice people. Um, but overall, I'd say it's good. And when we get into the second hour, I'm really going to get into that and more about, you know, if they're needing to cross over kind of my thoughts, at least for here in Port Campbell. So appreciate the question and, and hang on. We'll get there. Um, so before we took a break, I was talking about uh, joining Olympic Peninsula Paranormal Society and was able to learn from a lot of great people. And um, it just provided such good experience for learning how to investigate, how to approach an investigation, how to catalog data taken during an investigation, how to review that data, um, how to compile it for the client and how to present it to the client. And 
So I'll forever be grateful for joining that team and getting those experiences. And I hope that if anybody out there is thinking about um, joining a team that you'll have the same sort of experience. You got to find the, the right people. Like I said before, you got to have skeptics, open skeptics and believers. You got to have the mix of everybody. So I'll forever be grateful for my time at that team. And, and uh, I ended up leaving the team because guess what? I'm always here in Port Campbell. <laughs> just wasn't able to participate all the time in all the different uh, investigations because I was holding my own investigations here or doing tours. Um, and, I don't, and I don't regret that at all, but I'm, I'm super grateful for um, the time I had with that team. And I still investigate with with uh, one of them often, uh, Mary Bethune, and she'll be a guest on the show at some point. And so I still uh, investigate with her. And because I've learned over over time, you don't uh, investigate by yourself and get in some weird situations. Um, but uh, and then I was uh, part of the extended research team for paranormal research and investigations here in Washington. And I've been able to uh, take part in different paranormal phenomena experiments, um, testing out hypotheses and using extremely controlled settings. Um, and that's just been that's been awesome. So I'm, I'm grateful for that experience as well. Um, but, uh, you know, we're getting a little weird now because my life took a turn <laughs> a few years ago, uh, around, uh, I think it was 2013 and remember, you know, I was an open skeptic before and then became a believer. Well, I will say that when I started doing paranormal research, doing the tours, doing the investigations. Um, oh, we have another question from the chat. What should people look for when looking to join a team? Well, uh, we'll try and answer that for you here. Well, like I said, look for, make sure they have a good mix of people who are skeptical, open skeptical, and, and believers. And trust your gut. Um, if you're going to join a team and they don't do a background check, um, that's a little concerning, um, you know, not only for the team, but if anything were to happen on an investigation and you didn't do a background check on everybody, um, you might get some surprises that can come back to bite you. So make sure it's a team that's, you know, if they're focused on helping clients, um, they're not charging for investigations, um, and, you know, trust your gut. If you don't feel right with, with one of the people or multiple, you know, people on the team, trust your gut, because if you don't, you're only going to find out later. Um, so really, you know, you just got to uh, trust your, trust your gut when you're meeting people and are they like-minded, you know, with you? Are they, do they have the same goals, the same expectations with investigation? Um, are they investigating to get on a TV show, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I would say make sure there's a mix of beliefs, uh, mix of beliefs on the team and you trust your gut, make sure that they're doing it for reasons of helping clients or just straight research and um, you know, that they're credible. And you can usually get a pretty good feel for people. Uh, everybody has their own little in, bit of intuition um, you know, so you gotta, you gotta trust your gut on that. 
Um, another person just asked what was my first paranormal experience. Um, so I was about, first one that I can remember, uh, I was about seven years old and uh, I grew up in Boise, Idaho. And my grandparents lived in Sedona, Arizona. And so in the summers, when I was young, I'd go spend the summer with them. I know, wrong time of year, right? <laughs> to go to Arizona, go in the summer. Um, and so on one of those trips down to Arizona, uh, my grandparents had come up to visit everybody, and then they drove me down there. And it was on that trip, we were in northern Arizona, and I think we were probably an hour north of Flagstaff. And it's just that, you know, kind of straight roads. It's flat, you know, you got the red rocks off in the distance, but it's flat. There's some adobe houses, uh, you know, a hundred yards off the road. And we're just driving along and I was sitting in the middle. My grandpa was driving, my grandma was sleeping. And out of nowhere, these two Native Americans appeared in the middle of the highway, just in front of us. And their backs were turned to us. And it all happened so fast, but I remember their backs were to us. And I mean, they didn't really have, they didn't have modern clothing. It looked like traditional garb here. And they turned, they both turned towards each other and looked and looked back at us. And my grandpa hit the brakes and we went right through them and they just, they just vanished. They just evaporated. And I didn't quite know what happened until my grandpa said, did you see those old natives in the road? And I said, yes. And he said, okay, well, don't tell your grandma. She was still sleeping next to me. And right then I thought, oh my gosh, what did we just see? I'm seven years old. Um, you know, but I think my imagination was just, you know, trying to figure out what, what that could have been. But what did it for me was when my grandpa turned to me and asked if I saw it too. He saw the same thing. And interestingly enough, my grandpa Joe, it's his birthday today. And uh, he passed long ago, but uh, today's his birthday. So happy birthday, Grandpa Joe. And he's, he's with me often. Um, so that was my first paranormal experience the, that I can remember, at least. Uh, maybe others just didn't know how to perceive it or understand it. But uh, that was the first one. And, you know, that's kind of a great segue into, you know, where my life kind of took a turn a few years ago. So when I started doing the ghost walks and ghost conference, like I said before, I was not, um, I was very, I would say I was very skeptical of psychic work and, and, you know, energies and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I was pretty skeptical of that only because I think looking back, I didn't have uh, much exposure to that sort of thing um, growing up or even starting with paranormal research and stuff. I didn't have a lot of exposure with that. So I think it was kind of one of those, I didn't know anything about it. So I just didn't really put much stock into it. And so I just kind of continued on and, and would hear stories from psychics and stuff doing investigations. And I just really didn't know how to take that. And it was at the uh, 20, I think it was the 2012 Port Gamble Ghost Conference. 
and I have my good friend, William Becker, Paranormal Insights. Uh, he was doing a, he was giving a speaking presentation and there was a white, you know, a projector screen behind him and he started doing readings for people in the audience. And while I'm sitting there watching this happen, you know, not really knowing what to think about it, I started to see this, the shadow that wasn't his shadow trailing him around as he kind of walked back and forth. And he would call somebody up front and, and start a reading. And when he would do that, the shadow would just expand like a cloud. And it was kind of yellowish, and then it was bluish, and it would expand. And when he was done giving that reading, and the person would go sit down, that cloud would kind of condense back down to the shadow. And I'm sitting there thinking, okay, I'm working the conference, long hours, I've been running hard, I'm, I've got to be tired. That's just weird, because uh, it happened Every time he did a reading, this this shadow behind him would kind of expand and then condense back down. And I, I was thinking, am I am I hungry? Am I hallucinating? What's what's going on here? I'm trying to explain it away, right? And I went up to talk to William after that because I wanted to share, you know, that I was had seen this weird stuff, and I didn't really quite know what to think about that. Well, while I was Walking up to talk to William, another gentleman was already talking to him. And that gentleman's name is Neil McNeil, which, by the way, is going to be my first guest next week. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. And as I walked up to William and Neil having a conversation, I heard Neil describing to William everything that I just saw. In that moment, my stomach sank. I thought, whoa, wait a second. Okay, somebody else saw it, and they've just explained it exactly how I saw it, with the expanding and the collapsing down and the colors uh, and what the shadow looked like. You know, it was a male shadow. Uh, I would say that my stomach just sank, and I'm sure many of you out there have had that experience of that first time of you know, putting two to two, two and two together. It might not equal five at first, but it's going to equal something. And I'll tell you, my stomach sank. And that's when I kind of started to think a little bit more about, hmm, well, there's probably more to this. I just don't know anything about it. And so I was, you know, honestly, I was kind of tripped out by that whole situation. And from there things got even weirder and I had gone to uh, be a speaker at the Oregon ghost conference, which is held in uh, seaside now, but it was held in Oregon city. Uh, my first time there, Oregon city, Oregon. And, but it's now in seaside and it's usually the last weekend in March. Um, so be on the lookout for that. OregonGhostConference.com. Again, if you're looking for a conference to go to, that's a good one. And so I go there to be a, a speaker and while I'm there, I'm having all kinds of weird feelings. And I don't know how to describe it other than my, my stomach just felt like it was just turning upside down, flopping all around in, inside me <laughs> all weekend. And there was a guy there, and his name is Seth Michael. And he's with a team called White Light Paranormal Insights. 
and he was offering a special rate for psychic readings. Something pushed me to do that. I'd never had a psychic reading before. Remember, I was pretty skeptical of that sort of stuff. And I decided, what the heck? I'm going to do it. I'm going to get a psychic reading. Let's see what this is all about. And so I approached Seth, and, and we found a spot to go do the reading. And he kind of wrote some stuff down. And, you know, he sat me down and said, uh, do you have any idea what's going on around you? And I said, well, I don't know, but I've been feeling pretty funny lately. And, you know, like I said, my guts were just flopping all around inside me. <laughs> that's, what, that's the best way I can describe it. Stomach turning. And he says, you know, he'd written some stuff down and he says, well, you're going to do your own reading. And I'm thinking, wait, is what? Is this how it's supposed to go? I don't think it's supposed to go this way, right? And so he, you know, has me relax and, and starts asking me, what, what do I see? What do I see? And he says, he's telling me, you know, just relax. Whatever comes in your mind, tell me. And so I tell him that, um, you know, I see this man. He's a Native American. Kind of describe what he looked like. Um, you know, long hair, really slender, um, like a loincloth sort of uh, for, for clothing. And just kind of a stoic-looking guy. And he says, well, what else do you see? And I'm thinking, I don't, I don't know. Uh, well, then I see this horse, and he has me describe the horse. And it's white and tan, spotted like an Appaloosa. And then he shows me his notes that he wrote down before we started. And he had everything that I just said. So I go through another stomach sinking at that moment, going, oh, my goodness, what is happening here? And he tells me, you know, you're, you're supposed to learn the name of this guy, this Native American guy. You're supposed to, you're supposed to learn his name. And, you know, so I, I struggled, you know, uh, at first with that. I, you know, I think I was trying too hard and I just couldn't think of any names. And he said, just, just be patient. It'll, it'll come. And he tells me, you know, you're going to be doing your own readings for clients within a year. I can see that. And I just didn't know what to think about that. I was blown away and nervous all at the same time. Like, oh my goodness, what's going to happen? And after the reading, I walk out back into the conference area, and this name hits me, Choctaw. And it, it just stands out really strong. And so I said, that's got to be it. Because I was thinking it was a C, that this, you know, this, this guy is what he wanted me to learn his name to be. That it was a C, and it just hit me, Choctaw. And then shortly after that, Seth comes up to me and he'd made these cool little clay sculptures that he was selling at the conference. And he said, I had no idea why I made this one, but now I do. It all makes sense. And this was a little sculpture of a Native American man reaching his hand out. And he said, I called this one breaking through. Now, how do you think I felt after that? <laughs> it was it was crazy because that's kind of what I think happened, it was a breakthrough. 
He didn't know me, didn't know anything about me, never met me, and he'd made this thing the week before. Didn't know why he was making this Native American man, why he called it that. Um, But after my reading, it just made total sense. And so basically, the rest of that weekend, I don't want to say I was an emotional mess, but an emotional drunk, I guess, is the best way to describe it. Just felt loopy with emotions and feelings and just getting just bombarded with feelings. And, you know, I had experienced that a couple of times growing up where certain days it was, you know, it didn't happen often. It was just a a few times where I just felt super depressed and heavy, but I didn't know why. And that's kind of what it felt like, just like heavy, just emotions, emotions, emotions. And so then, you know, after that, I went and did um, some of the tours that were part of the conference. And I go to this park there in Oregon City, and William Becker was leading the tour. And there's this particular tree that he was, you know, said that he would feel activity around and experience, you know, different kinds of entities there. So he had me come take a seat in the tree and the tree was, it had to have been, I didn't have a thermometer gun, but it had to have been at least 20 degrees warmer than it was outside. It felt warm to the touch. And so I'm sitting there and he, and he says that he sees these little figures and they're, they're curious about me and recognize that I have an old soul. And, you know, I'm kind of thinking, okay, I don't know what to believe here. Um, And so he says, well, put your hand out. One of them um, wants to, you know, touch your hand. And so I held the palm of my hand out, my right hand. And I'll be damned, something touched my hand and pushed it down a little bit. I could see my skin depress in the palm of my hand. And then I I was like, whoa, okay. I don't see anything. He's seeing something. This is strange. And then he says, one would like to maybe crawl up in your lap. Now, I was sitting with my legs folded in this, uh, my legs crossed in this tree. So I had my keys in my pocket. And I I saw this little shadow below me move. And then the keys in my pocket slid over an inch and a half. And that freaked me out. And the fact that he could see these things and I couldn't, but I felt that. I know I felt that. Then I'm thinking, oh my gosh, there's there's just a lot more to this. So after the conference, I, I come home and I'm just kind of this emotional mess, I guess. And my poor wife, you know, I'm telling her all these things that happened. She's looking at me like, okay, uh, okay. She's going along with it. She's letting me, you know, say my piece. And, uh, you know, thank goodness for her, (laughs) but uh, I just felt so weird. And basically, uh, after a couple of days of just kind of finding my way around, uh, trying to make sense of everything, why am I having all these feelings? Why am I seeing all this stuff? Why am I hearing, you know, I'm hearing names, you know, like what is going on? And so I decided, you know, uh, I had met my biological father, And I decided I was going to do one last search for him. And I ended up finding him and through a half sister. And so I talked to my half sister first. I reached out to her 
and actually got on the phone with her. And she put me on the phone with a half-brother of mine that I didn't know I had. And she put me on the phone with him. And literally the first things we said were, hey, how's it going? And then I said, hey, man, you know, uh, I'm not trying to get anything. I'm just, you know, trying to learn where I'm from. Learn the other half of me. Where's where the other half of me is from? First thing he says is, well, let me tell you, you're part Choctaw native. I about fell over because that name Choctaw was so strong at the Oregon Ghost Conference after my reading with Seth Michael. I mean, I almost fell over. And after that, it was just, it started, you know, uh, every, anytime anybody would come over for dinner or to hang out, uh, their great aunt or their grandmother or sister or a friend would would show up and I would ask the awkward question of does anybody know who so-and-so is oh yeah that's my great aunt okay did she look like this yes and it just kind of went from there and I getting validation and stuff and the more validation any medium will tell you um, psychic or a medium will tell you that getting that validation is, is really good for your, your confidence and trust in yourself. And it just kept going and going and kept going. And with within a year, I started doing some readings for friends and then people who I didn't know. And it's just been going on ever since. So that happened in um, 2013. And so I've been doing um, mediumship work since then. Yeah, it was since about 2014. Um, you know, trying to take my time to, to learn things. But uh, going to the Oregon Ghost Conference just changed everything for me. And uh, getting into that psychic work was, was pretty amazing. And we'll be talking about that through more shows, through more episodes. And one of the things that I'm hoping with this show is... Uh, occasionally we'll do a little psychic development for everybody listening out there. If anything, to at least help people just be in the present, relax, kind of reset their souls. Um, but, uh, man, what a crazy experience. Now, after all this happened and over the past few years, and I'm still today even having realizations of times from when I grew up, those Native American guys in the highway in Arizona, one of them, I think, was the guide that I saw in my reading with Seth Michael. Looking back now and remembering what they looked like, um, you know, as a kid, uh, growing up in Boise, I got to go to the old Idaho State Penitentiary for field trips and for a Basque cultural festival called High Aldi. And so I got to spend a lot of time there. And as a kid, you know, uh, there are certain areas that I just, I felt so weird in and I get bad stomach aches and then I would have to leave. One of those was the gallows that was on death row, the gallows room. And I just couldn't, I couldn't hang in there for very long. I'd have to leave. Um, and this place was built in 1870 when the first buildings went up. And I think the later constructed buildings into the 1950s as well. Um, but one of the other spots there um, was um, cell, cell house four. And where a prisoner who was going to be executed, 
he climbed up into the rafters and swan dived onto the concrete floor head first, um, which amazingly enough did not kill him. He was actually alive after that fall, but that spot, uh, you know, I, I remember as a kid on a field trip envisioning that and seeing that. And then like I saw it happen. And later when I saw the pictures of that scene, this is one of those revelation type things. Oh my gosh, that's, that's what I saw. Like what the guy was wearing and everything. I was almost like I, I visualized it, but maybe it wasn't a visualization. And so that was one place growing up, you know, I've kind of looked back on over the years and maybe you guys out there, maybe you've got things that you kind of look back on like, Hmm, there is more to that experience than I thought. Um, you know, another place uh, where I had experiences growing up that I've often looked back on is, is the Egyptian theater in Boise, Idaho. And in my college years, I worked at the Egyptian theater. And now this place is right in downtown Boise. And it was built in 1927. It's a historic landmark in Idaho. And this place is just beautiful. Uh, it was originally a 1600 seat auditorium. And they did silent movies uh, originally. Um, there's an awesome organ that's up there, and it's just it fills the whole place. That organ is so cool. But uh, later on, they they changed the seats and everything, and uh, became an 800 seat auditorium. There's a mezzanine and everything there. This place looks like you're straight out of Karnak in Egypt. Um, Lotus pillars, there's, you know, replica stuff from like King Tut's tomb. Um, but I mean, we're talking like 40 foot pillars, Lotus pillars. I mean, you feel like you're in an Egyptian temple when you go into this place. And so I worked there and it was a movie theater at the time. And oftentimes I would be the last one there closing up, locking up. And I mean, it was so, the activity at this place was so regular. That's, I would say that's a place that really kept me open to paranormal activity and, and kind of kept my interest uh, because it was almost daily um, having experiences there. Our, uh, our office was on the second floor and there was a, it's like a three inch thick steel door at the bottom of this stairwell. And it's all like stucco work in the stairwell. Well, from where the desk was, you could look and see kind of down the stairwell. And I mean, I don't know how many times I couldn't even count them up where I was up in the office and would hear somebody walking up the stairs, walk past the office and walk into the balcony room, that's a, which is where the marquee is. And it was kind of like above the marquee. There was this room and it was a storage room. And you'd hear people walking up there, you know, walking around, you'd hear voices and look outside and there's nobody around. Uh, but it, that was pretty regular. Um, numerous times going in uh, to close up at night and into the auditorium. Uh, you'd hear, you know, the, the base of a chair rise up like somebody just got out of their seat, you'd shine your light and there's nobody there. And so that was, uh, it was pretty active on the regular now, another interesting thing about this place is in 1905, the governor of Idaho, well, the ex-governor of Idaho, he had been out of office for four years, was assassinated um, by a mining union 
and they had written an explosive on his gate and, and killed him. And after that, uh, in downtown Boise, they had created a tunnel system as kind of an evacuation route uh, in case from the Capitol building, because the Egyptian theater is just a couple blocks up from the Capitol building. So under this Egyptian theater that's already creepy enough with activity going on all the time, there's these dark tunnels down there. And there used to be opium dens and just weird stuff happening down there uh, throughout its history. Now, most of them are all sealed off now. And even when I worked there, most of them were sealed off. You could only go so far. But looking back on that place, the feelings I was getting, I now understand them a little bit more. So a little bit of homework for you guys is, you know, what in your life from your childhood upbringing, uh, whatever it might be, you know, what do you look back on? Um Oh, and one other thing, you know, was visiting the Anasazi um, Mesa Verde Park in Arizona, the cliff dwellings. I went there as a kid, and I remember checking those places out and just getting weird stomach feelings. But, of, of course, I had no clue. Um, but I feel like that I was feeling the vibrations of that place. Um, so, you know, maybe my time spent in Sedona in Arizona and the Native American history and kind of the, the magic of the place, you know, kind of stuck with me. Um, but that's another thing that I look back on. So what do you guys look back on? Is there something that you kind of reference to, you know, growing up that, oh my gosh, you know, after you started, maybe you're, maybe you do paranormal investigation or you're a medium, you know, what are some of those things? Try and identify that and see if you can kind of go back in time in your mind and go, wait a second, holy smokes. Okay, there was something maybe more going on there. Um, but anyways, it's just been an amazing journey. I'm still on this journey. I'm glad you guys are here with me. Uh, let's go, let's take this journey on together um, and, and see where it goes. And, you know, so I, I, I love what I do. I love um, helping people. Uh, with mediumship, it's it's just so rewarding, and I and really feel like it's uh, what I was supposed to do. And when it happened, so I was about 33 when I would say this awakening sort of thing happened. Um, it must have been the right time because I must not have been ready before. Um, you know, maybe I wasn't ready as a kid because I, maybe I wouldn't be able to handle it. Whatever it is, um, it was the right time for that to happen. And we all have to trust in, you know, the right time for things to happen. Um, so I'm thankful it happened when it did and how it did, um, you know, and just count your lucky stars, people. Um, we all have things that we can we we can say we're blessed with, um, even in these crazy times uh, with this year going on. Um, so let's take this journey together, right? Let's find out, is there an afterlife? I would say yes. Uh, what happens to us when we die? You know, let's let's all see if we can keep searching for those answers to those unending questions. Um, now we're going to be getting ready to take a break here in a few minutes, uh, but I want to kind of bring in the Port Gamble ghost stories, and it's something I'm passionate about. Like I said, it's changed my life. This place is is really cool. It's a little jewel, hidden jewel. Uh, up here in Washington State. Now, 
this place is, let's see, there's about 40 buildings. Um, there used to be about 400 buildings. So a lot of stuff has come down over the years, but what has been left is nothing short of, of awesome. Uh, when you come to this town, you, you're taking a step back into 1800s New England, basically. So I don't know if I've got any people out in New England listening tonight, um, but uh, it's it's literally a step into New England, a New England town. And uh, it was founded in 1853, which is old for the West Coast. All you people on the East Coast are, yeah, yeah, that's not old. That's young. Well, for the West Coast, it's pretty old. Um, and I think that's pretty cool. So the town was established in 1853 and um, by a gentleman, gentleman Pope and Talbot. And they were from East Machias, Maine. And basically, they opened a sawmill. And that sawmill ran for 142 years. It ran from 1853 to 1995. And uh, it's the longest-running sawmill in U.S. history and it's just like i said it's just a step into new england these guys were from east machias so it actually kind of it's laid out very much like east machias was um but the sawmill is certainly a point of interest along with many many of the other uh buildings and we're going to get into that after this uh station break we got to pay the bills right uh, so we're going to take a station break. When we get back, I'm going to introduce you guys to Port Gamble, and we're going to kind of take a little tour through Port Gamble and some of its haunts and stories. Yeah, you're listening to the Paranormal Peak Show on www.wltkdd.com. Hit us up on the chat. Others say it. We prove it. We are controlling transmission. WLTK DB. Let's talk. Alternative Talk Radio. WLTKDB.com. Another firing. I'm Lisa LaSara, Fox News. The Department of Homeland Security official who vouched for the integrity of the 2020 election fired on Twitter by President Trump. Christopher Krebs was reportedly not told about his firing before the tweet. The president writing Krebs' recent statement defending the security of the election was highly inaccurate. As the Trump campaign continues to pursue lawsuits over claims of voting irregularities, including in Pennsylvania. Rudy Giuliani told a federal judge in Williamsport, Pennsylvania, that widespread fraud happened in the election, that there was a lack of equal treatment. Voters in some counties were allowed to fix ballot mistakes. Voters in other counties, he said, were not within the same state of Pennsylvania. He says that sort of unequal treatment is reminiscent of the arguments made in Bush versus Gore. Further, he said 340,000 mailed-in ballots were opened in Allegheny County and Pittsburgh without poll watchers observing, making them illegal. 
In a separate case, the state Supreme Court sided with the Philadelphia Board of Elections, rejecting an argument that poll watchers did not have meaningful access to watch the vote count. Jessica Rosenthal, Fox News. The spokesman for President-elect Biden issuing a statement about Krebs reading in part by partisan election officials in the administration itself and around the country have made clear that Donald Trump's calls of widespread voter fraud are categorically false and Trump's embarrassing refusal to accept that reality, they say it lays bare to how baseless and desperate his flailing is. Meanwhile, Wayne County, the largest county in Michigan, has reversed course and unanimously certified its presidential election results for President-elect Biden. After Republicans first blocked the move, that could have temporarily stalled the official approval of Biden's state win. Los Angeles County, with new restrictions as COVID-19 cases surge, it's ordered non-essential retail to limit capacity to 25%. America is listening to Fox News. 2020 has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly, so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. Right now, Indeed is offering a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Get started on Indeed.com slash Fox. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo is overseas in what could be one of his last trips as America's top diplomat. Met in Turkey with top religious leaders. No official meetings were conducted. The State Department blamed scheduling conflicts, but Pompeo has been critical of Ankara's role in fighting in Azerbaijan, Libya, and energy conflicts in the eastern Mediterranean. Turkish leader Erdogan has recognized Joe Biden as president-elect, congratulating him on his election success. Fox's Greg Palatot, Israel's president and prime minister, have joined the list of world leaders who have reached out to president-elect Joe Biden. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has been seen as a close ally of President Trump, though his office says he and Biden have had what it called a warm conversation. A major airline offering COVID tests for passengers, they say it could be a way to get people to travel again. The start of mass vaccinations is still months away. United Airlines is trying to boost business before that. For the next month, all passengers on select United flights between Newark and Heathrow will be COVID tested at Newark International Airport. The first flight of 36 passengers landed this morning in London all COVID free, but they still have to quarantine for 14 days. United is trying to convince authorities that blanket quarantine measures don't help and that safe testing procedures can increase travel numbers. At Newark International Airport in New Jersey, Lauren Simonetti, Fox News. The fossil skeletons of two dinosaurs that appear to be locked in a death match have been donated to a museum in North Carolina. The dueling dinosaurs were buried together 67 million years ago, according to scientists. They were discovered on a hillside in Montana in 2006 and have been the center of a legal battle over who owned them. The nonprofit organization Friends of the North Carolina Museum of Natural Sciences says in a statement, it acquired the fossilized animals with private Funds. I'm Lisa Lacerra, and this is Fox News.
WLTK DB Let's Talk Alternative Talk Radio WLTKDB.com Welcome back. We're in the second hour of the first Paranormal Pete Show. I'm your host, Pete Orbea. It's uh, five after the hour, and we're going to be digging in on Port Campbell here. But uh, I had somebody, another question from the chat. Thank you guys so much for participating in the chat. Uh, this is great. That's what I'm looking for, interactiveness. And so the person says, uh, the question is, uh, for those who don't know how to get a hold of you for a reading, how do we do that? And just go to portgambleparanormal.com and that's how you can get a hold of me um, to to book a reading and I'm more than happy to do them um, over the phone especially right now even if you're more local I'm doing readings by phone or by video chat um, and also I'd like to bring up I have set up an event and December 12th from 7 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. Pacific time so 10 p.m. Uh, Eastern Time, I'm going to be doing holding a virtual gallery reading. And what that will entail is anybody who gets a ticket, you'll get to join in on the, uh, the video session. And I'm just going to be doing my best to get messages for anybody that's there, uh, messages from the other side, and just in time for the, for the holidays for that. Um, so... You know, nobody's guaranteed a reading, but everyone has the opportunity for that. So that you can find at portgambleparanormal.com as well on the Paranormal Peak Show page on the web page. And also uh, follow me on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Paranormal Peak Show. And you'll be able to check out those, uh, see the events there and check that out. So I'll be doing that uh, gallery reading, virtual gallery reading on December 12th, 7 p.m., Pacific time. Um, so hopefully that helps uh, the person who asked the question. Um, let's get back into Port Gamble. And by the way, uh, people are just listening and you want to chat, jump in on the station chat at WLTKDB.com. So that's WLTKDB.com. Jump in on the station chat and we'll be able to get your questions here. So, um, so I was talking about... Um, Basically, you're getting in, starting to get into Port Gamble and its history here. So, this place was a sawmill town. That's what the town was built around. Uh, was a sawmill, and as I mentioned before the break, it, was, it ran for 142 years, and so it's the longest running sawmill in U.S. history. Now, most all of the initial inhabitants in, uh, in Port Gamble at the mill, the workers and families, were from East Machias, Maine. Um, and, you know, it was a 15,000-mile boat trip around Cape Horn at that time to get out here with only a couple of port stops. So it was about six months at sea. And historically, I mean, they would go to San Francisco, I think resupply, and then they would finish the journey up to Puget Sound. But uh, so it was, it was hard to get out here initially. And so that's why there wasn't that many people early on. Um, in the late 1860s, the Transcontinental Railroad was completed, which made it so much faster to get out here. I wouldn't say safer, 
but it was definitely faster to get out here. So after the late 1860s, um, the population really started to, to grow, but the foundation was already there for the town. And for anybody who's ever been here, and I mentioned it earlier, it's a New England town. And basically, it's not because they didn't do it because that was the only style of architecture they knew how to build. But Pope and Talbot built the town to look like home because everyone was leaving their lives to come out to Fort Gamble, leaving everything behind. Maybe some of them thought, I'm never going back. I'm going to make this trip and that's, that's it. And so they made it look like home so that the workers wouldn't really be homesick. They wouldn't miss being home. Uh, They'd be happier overall. And so the town, you know, looks like that. The St. Paul's church here uh, built in 1879. That place is uh, the little brother to um, the church in East Machias. So it's, it's looks very, very similar. It's a little bit smaller. Um, but they really made the town feel like home. And, um, you know, like I said, after the 18, late 1860s, the population really grew because initially there's a spit here. And then there's a bluff above that spit. And initially, everything was down on that spit. The mill buildings, the cookhouse, the community center, um, housing. There was a place called the Ticolette Hotel. Um, everything was kind of down below. And then once more people started showing up here, then they started to you know build more up on the bluff and where you see buildings standing today. And uh, you know, but everything initially was down below. Now, what's unique with Port Gamble and the paranormal, at least in my opinion, is there's reported activity like all over the town. There's way more places that have reported activity than don't. Um, historic Rainier Avenue here. That's kind of like our quote unquote main street. Um, there's reported activity in pretty much all those buildings in the residential areas where, where people live. And yes, for those who drive through and never see anybody who live here, we do live here. It's kind of a Stepford wife sort of thing. Um, when people drive through, I still see people point at you and say, Oh, there's a person at that house. Um, it looks that historic here and everything is, is very well maintained, but it's just interesting that it's, there's widespread activity. And, you know, when you think of a lot of old West towns or, you know, just historic towns, there's like, uh, small towns, I'll say, um, there's a couple of buildings or one building where, or the cemetery where the, like, all the activity seems to be focalized in those those buildings or cemetery. Not a lot of reports from the surrounding areas. And I found that really interesting. And it made me, when I started doing the ghost walks here, um, you know, it made me kind of think, well, what the heck's going on here? Why is it all over the place? And, uh, you know, the first thing people think about is the sawmill. You know, uh, ran for 142 years, 1800s. I mean, they were fairly isolated out here, um, you know, until the late 1800s. They were fairly isolated out here. And, you know, what what could be causing this mass haunting? Now, 
I asked this question on my ghost walk tours because I want to, I always want to see what people's opinions are. So think about it for a second. Why would there be such a widespread haunting? Okay. Now, most people think about sawmill, tragedy, deaths, mass tragedy. Okay. When you think about Gettysburg and very well known uh, haunted location, right? Look at the amount of people that died in a short amount of time in a relatively small area. You'd think, okay, maybe there's going to be some imprints, all that death that happened, all that energy expensed there. You think, yeah, there, there's a group, pretty good possibility that that energy is imprinted on that location. Um, so most people think about the sawmill and, you know, how many people do you guys think died over 142 years on the mill site? How many of the workers here do you think died? So I'll give you that answer. You're probably thinking in the hundreds and it's four. So think about that. There was a, there were a lot of fires over the years four deaths reported on the mill site. Four deaths that are recorded on the mill site. When I found that out, I was kind of like, dang it. I was hoping that that was the reason. And, you know, it's kind of takes that out of the equation. I wouldn't say that four deaths on the mill site over 142 years would contribute to a widespread or mass haunting of an area. So then you kind of have to look at some other things. Well, if you think about geology, um, think about the castles in England, Ireland, uh, built on limestone. A lot of them may have running water, you know, deep beneath. And those are things considered to be conducive to energies, um, whatever things are built on. And, you know, there is a lot of quartz in the bedrock here. Maybe that has something to do with it. Um, I'm no geologist, but... Um, to, you know, to know how much of a level of quartz in an area would be conducive to energy, but that could have something to do with it. Um, one of the other more common things people come up with is Native American history here. And I think that has a big part of it. Uh, I mentioned in going to Sedona a lot as a kid, Sedona, Arizona, spending a lot of time down there. There's just a magic to the place. Um, I think Port Campbell's got some of that as well. Um, the Native Americans in Puget Sound have history going back thousands and thousands of years. Um, and it's, you know, so I think that has a pretty big part of it. Um, you know, the Port Gamble Sklalem tribe did have a settlement where the mill site ended up being. And they moved over to the other side. And there was a deal that was struck uh, with the company. And, of course, uh, relationships have been tumultuous at times and strained. Um, you know, but I think the Native American history here has a big part of it. Um, if you look at, remember, the mill ran for 142 years. Well, I think you have to thank the Sklalem, the Port Campbell Sklalem tribal members um, for that success of running that long 
because whenever there was a gold rush, like the Fraser River Gold Rush, um, there was multiple ones of those up in British Columbia, late 1800s. Well, a lot of the a lot of the workers would uh, bail and go chase the gold rush. Um, you know, hey, let's go strike gold. And um, the Port Gamble-Sklom tribal members um, would work at the mill and continue to work at the mill. And so I kind of attribute that 142-year span to those guys because who knows what would have happened if they weren't there to kind of help keep things going. So I think the Native American history here in this area, it's it's so goes back so far and so deep in, in the land here. So I think that's definitely part of it. Now, excuse me, uh, we have a question from the chat. Let's see here. Do you have any idea if healing work is continuing on the Kitsap Peninsula to assist the 70,000 natives who died in the beginning of expansionism in the Pacific Northwest? And that's a great question. Um, I do know some people that do healing work. And as far as maybe like a conglomerate effort, um, that's a great question. I'm not sure that there is some sort of coordinated effort or if it's just individual effort. Um, but that gives me some good ideas to maybe, um, look a lot further into that. So great question. Um, and maybe I can report back to you sometime on the show, uh, in the future, uh, what comes of that, but that's, that's a great question and, and yields some, some great thoughts of things that need to be repaired. So thanks for asking that. Um, so again, you know, I think the native American history here is big, big to do as far as the activity, um, now, my honest and simple opinion about why is it so haunted here has got to be that the buildings are maintained just as they were historically. Uh, when you look at all the kinds of activity, this kind of goes back to a question we had in the first hour, is all the activity good? And I would say mostly yes. And a lot of what happens is a haunting where... Um, it's a repeat history. It's, you know, something's imprinted on this location. So it's like the activity is doing what it, this person, entity, may be doing what they did every day for 50 years. Um, so there's kind of this life is still going on for them. Um, you know, and I love living here. My family loves it. Anybody who comes here to check it out falls in love with the town too. And that really creates my opinion of why is it so haunted here along with the native american histories is that people love it here so much they don't want to leave and that's it's as simple as that i mean maybe someday when i transition over maybe i'll haunt port gamble i don't know that remains to be seen but um i think that's really why people just love it here and they don't want to leave so and a lot of the activity would would suggest that um, now, there is intelligent activity here, um, things that seem to, are they're aware of us, um, and they will interact or answer questions. So there is this intelligence um, side of it as well. And, and just a funny story, um, there's a house here, and, and a lady uh, had, she'd gone home to see her family, and she ended up passing away while she was away uh, across the country. And so her family had come to 
you know, help clear the house out. And so my wife, Molly, and I went over to help with some of that stuff. And it was just us. We went over in, in, during an evening. And we're in there by ourselves. When we went into the house, uh, any house we go into here in Port Gamble, we say, hello. We introduce ourselves and just, you know, let, let the space, the building know what we're doing. So we'd come in and said, hello. And we're doing some work and, and I, you know, clearing stuff out. I think I had just picked up a box and I was going to start walking towards the front door. My wife was behind me, kind of to my side. And we hear, hello. And I stopped and looked at her and I said, what'd you say? She looks at me and says, well, I didn't say anything. And the more we thought about the nice lady who had lived in this house had a very distinctive voice. And the more we thought about it, trying to think, okay, did that voice come from in here? We definitely felt it came from in the house, probably like six feet from us. Uh, there was a closet kind of under the stairwell. We think that that's where the voice came from. But the more we thought about it, it sounded like this lady's voice. Um, so she interacted with us. Uh, and again, she was not in Port Gamble when she passed away. She wasn't at her house. She was um, back east visiting family. And so even, I mean, maybe we heard her voice uh Maybe she loved it here so much she doesn't want to leave. So that's pretty interesting. So there is intelligent activity. Now, let's kind of dig into some of that. So there's a really neat historic museum here in Port Gamble, which used to be part of the mill offices. And the mill here was called the Puget Mill. And it was Pope and Talbot's first and last mill that they had for the company. And originally, they had set up the company in San Francisco in 1849, kind of like set up the company, the actual business there. And then in 1853 uh, is when they started working on They've discovered the spit and started to work on it. And in September of 1853, a gentleman named Josiah Keller showed up with milling equipment and about 10 workers and their families and kind of, in a sense, started the town there. Now, this muse the museum is was built in 1916 as part of the mill offices, and it's part of the general store building, the Port Campbell General Store Building. So, built in 1916, and the space where the museum is uh, was part of the mill offices until 1972, and then it was commissioned to be a museum and opened in 1976 to coincide with America's bicentennial. So, it's been a museum there since 1976. And there's an, an exhibit in there that I've had some experiences at. And it's in the, towards the back of the museum. And it's, it's the exhibit of the Puget Hotel. So there was this big, beautiful hotel built in 1903 here, torn down in 1963. And anybody in the Northwest uh, may have heard stories or maybe even remember the Columbus Day storm in 1962 that actually twisted the hotel off its foundation and it started to collapse. And so anyways, they ended up tearing it down in 1963. So there's a really cool exhibit in the back uh, of the museum for that. Now, in the back of that exhibit, there's some doors. And that leads into kind of the back room and where, you know, I believe accountants would work, you know, back when it was used, you know, or, or when it was opened. There's this big safe down there, and workers would come and, and line up out the door out the safe to get paid. So 
kind of in a sense keeping the books back in this back room. And so one of the things I've experienced a lot and, and others as well is when you're at the Puget Hotel exhibit, you might start hearing books opening and closing from the back room, paper shuffling. Uh, I've even heard, you know, a few times uh, somebody crumple up a piece of paper and like to throw it away. And of course, when you hear that, you go running in there. Oh, I'm going to see some. No, nope, nobody's in there. And that happens pretty often. That's one of the more more common experiences you can have in there. Um, we also, during the ghost conference one year, set some EMF meters out in front of this exhibit and then stepped back away from the meters in the exhibit because we were seeing this shadow down at the end of the uh, end of the corridor as if somebody was walking back and forth uh, or just around the corner, just out of view, but we could see their shadow on the floor. And so we kept inviting whatever this was to to come say hello and, and walk by. And the thinking was, if it comes close, the EMF meters will will register it. You know, they'll get a register. And, you know, when you're using an EMF meter, you want to scan around, right? You want to scan the area that you're going to be observing. And you want to find all the man-made signals of EMF. And so, you know, that's been done. Uh, there was really no ambient EMF hanging around out there. So, you know, if you come across a man-made source of EMF, typically, you know, it's going to stay steady. And, you know, it might waver a bit, but it'll stay steady. And then if you move the meter away from that signal, it'll get weaker. If you move it closer, it will get stronger. And so there was nothing registering on the meters when we set them down. And we set them up in a pattern that kind of went around this corner. And after a while, we heard a footstep on the floor. And then the three meters all went off. And all in sequence, first, second, third one. And then they all went back down to zero in the same order, first, second, third one. As if a some sort of self-contained electromagnetic field passed through there. Uh, that was really interesting. I just, I, that was a really cool experience. Um, and, you know, trying to re we recreated it one other time. And then I, I would like to try and set that up again. It's a great experiment. Um, now, as you're walking through the museum, there's also another exhibit where an apparition has been seen of a woman. And unfortunately, I have, haven't come across her yet. But uh, when the museum is open during the summer season, once or twice, you know, we'll hear about, uh, I was in the back and I saw a woman in the exhibit and then she was gone. You know, like that sort of thing. But it's pretty neat, pretty neat little museum. Um, so if you're in town in the summer, uh, this year, unfortunately, we weren't able to open it because of um, coronavirus, but uh, hopefully next year. Um, now, once you leave the museum, you know, one of the other iconic buildings here in Port Gamble is the theater building, uh, community center, post office. It's known by a bunch of different names, but this place was built in 1906 and it was built by Seattle architects, Bevan and Mendel in their time. And they were kind of like the rock star architects. They did a lot of Pioneer Square and Queen Anne Hill over in Seattle. And so it was, it was a big deal to have them come out and design and build uh, the theater building. And so on the top floor of this place is the theater and opened in 1906 and they did vaudevillian type productions, showed movies there up to about 1960. 
uh, company dances, potlucks, meetings. You know, it, it was the community gathering place. Um, and in, in 2011, we went up and, and kind of renovated it. Now, up in the theater, there's some activity that's experienced. And one of the thing, one of the activity experiences that we we know of is someone we call the stage manager. So when you're facing the stage on the left-hand side, oftentimes people have seen this tall shadow figure step out from the side door or from the side curtain. And I think he's called the stage manager just because all the rigging for the stage and all the props and everything is, is right in that area uh, on the stage there. And so it's almost like he's, he's checking on the show. He's getting ready to do this or that stage manager. Um, there's also been many audio pieces gathered of uh, what sounds like to be a young girl um, giggling and stuff like that, which I find creepy um, uh, up in the balcony area. Um, rant, there used to be an old piano up there. Um, people have got recordings of random notes being played on the piano when nobody's up there. Uh, so it's just, it, it's an interesting place. And on the first floor of this building, is the post office and historically there was a dentist and a doctor and a barber in this place and it's still a working post office it's got the original boxes from 1906 and i'll tell you as a resident here even if you know your combination it's going to take you a few times to get that unlocked i guess extra security old age extra security um and in the basement of this place was the town's morgue on the west end of it in the basement and it was the town's morgue from 1906 to 1929. I've had the pleasure of working in this building in our weddings office. So by day I'm the weddings and events supervisor here and help everybody coordinate their weddings and stuff. And what a year it's been for that. But uh, our office was in there for a number of years. And so we got to work in there and um when you're in this place, you're you're always on the wrong floor at the wrong time. You hear you'll hear somebody walking around in the theater upstairs, so you go up to check it out. Nobody's up there. While you're up there walking around checking it out, you'll hear voices or footsteps downstairs. So then you go back downstairs. While you're downstairs, you hear it again upstairs. So you're always kind of off, and you know you're on the wrong floor when stuff's happening. It just always seems to work that way. Now. We're going to get ready to play some audio for you guys. Um, and I've got a, I got a bunch of audio clips we're going to get through. And it's 31 past the hour, so we've got about half an hour left. Um, so this first clip um, that I'd like to play, I'll set it up here for you. So I had a group in the morgue, in the, the morgue area, so in the basement. And out of nowhere, we hear footsteps walk the entire length of the building. And then what sounds like a toilet lid slammed down. Now, the interesting thing is the building was locked and we didn't hear any doors open or close. In this place, it, it is an echo chamber, especially in the basement. There was no doors that opened and closed. And when we heard this noise, um, you know, somebody mentioned, hey, I didn't hear any doors open or close. So uh, me and half the group went up verified that it was still locked and the other half tried to listen to see if anybody was going to come back out of the bathroom or at least you know we heard a toilet lid nobody was heard coming out of the bathroom nobody was heard walking away at all 
And so we had got in and I went to go into the men's room because that's where I figured the sound came from. And the best way I can describe it is every muscle in my body tensed up as soon as I tried to go in there. And it was like I got stuck in the doorway. But uh, what I want to play for you is the audio. Um, and this is from my, my good friend, Mikey Haslip. And he had, he had a recorder with him going. And you'll hear the footsteps in the toilet lid. So let's uh, go ahead and play clip one. Okay, somebody had to have gotten. Oh, you're running upstairs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's hear it again. Okay, somebody had to have gotten. Oh, you're running upstairs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the footsteps are pretty loud, <laughs> um, and they seem to walk right over the top of us. And when we got up there, there was nobody in the building. Uh, so that was that was cool. That was a good one. Um, and so this next clip I want to play is from the morgue. And I know uh, intertrans communication and work with ghost box and stuff is is you know in the paranormal field. You either love it or be or you hate it. Um, I enjoy it. I think it's interesting, and I, you know, I think there might be something to it. And so, in this clip, we're down in the morgue, and I'm with the Olympic Peninsula Paranormal Society here. And you'll hear um, a teammate ask if they want to, if somebody wants to speak to somebody else. And I happen to be standing next to this person, so see if you can pick out what is said. Speak to somebody else. We'll hear it again here. Speak to somebody else. So I don't know if you could pick anything out of there, but there seems to be a voice that says my name a couple times. Pete, Pete. Maybe a third time. And then the last one sounds like a mic. And there was a mic with us as well. Um, I didn't quite know how to take that when that one happened. Um, to hear that response uh, straight back to me in multiple times the same name, and they sound like different voices each time too, which is interesting. So um, you can get some interesting uh, activity at that place. It's, it's pretty cool. Um, now, here in Port Gamble, we've got the uh, Buena Vista Cemetery, and this was established in 1856, so it's one of the oldest established cemeteries uh, in Puget Sound. And this place sits up on top of a hill and overlooks Hood Canal and Gamble Bay. It's just a beautiful spot. And uh, it's been a closed cemetery since, um, I think, the 60s. And But it's just beautiful. And the neat headstones. Um, and there is reported activity in the, in the cemetery. Now, it doesn't happen too often. And honestly, when you look at everything as a whole, the cemetery is really the quietest place in Port Gamble as far as uh, paranormal and ghosts and spirits go. 
it's it's the quietest it's the quietest place. I think everyone's down in the town, but the cemetery sits up on top of this hill, and in the back of the cemetery, there's these two obelisk uh, headstones, and one's pretty large, the other one's smaller. And in this area, now these are all reports. These are, nobody's ever handed a photo or, you know, like a good piece of evidence for that. But what people report, excuse me, and have reported over the years is hearing a voice, a woman's voice say, hello, how are you? Very proper and polite. And when people turn around, they either see a woman or they don't. But the fact that they all report she says hello how are you is interesting and then people who the description of this woman has has been consistent the whole time as well late 20s early 30s long brown curly hair and kind of a uh you know flowing white sort of dress and i kind of joke that we're an official ghost town because we have our lady in white um so it's just, it's an awesome place. It's, it's just beautiful. So if you're ever around uh, in the area, definitely stop up at the cemetery. You can find a lot of cool different headstones up there. There's an unmarked grave that we believe to be the gravesite of Josiah Keller, which was the first town manager. He died in 1863. And um, that is believed to be his grave because in his wife's diary, uh, there's an entry in 1863, saying that she's commissioned a short iron fence to go around his gravesite and it's to be remained unmarked. Doesn't say why, but my guess it was left unmarked because he, if, if you look at all the burials up there, he's the only mill manager that's buried up there. So everyone else is workers in their families. And I should also mention that um, there's a, 105 known burials, or 115 known burials, um, but we know that there's a lot more. They just probably had wooden markers initially. And um, so they, in this environment, that just didn't last very long. So we know there's a lot more burials in there um, than what is actually marked. But it's just a beautiful place, and I hope you can check it out sometime. Um, and so another, uh, this is a cool story. This was my, this is a story about my first paranormal experience in Port Gamble. Certainly not the first one in my life, as we've gone all over that. Um, but the first one in Port Gamble, and it took place in the old automotive station. And um, what's in there now is a restaurant. It's Butcher and Baker Provisions. If you're ever in the area, you got to try it out. Um, but it was the old automotive station, and it was the last building that the company built to serve you know, a purpose for the town. And it was built around 1918, finished 1919, and was a gas station you know, light maintenance up until, you know, the mid eighties. And it was like an antique mercantile sort of store. And then there was a sign shop. And then this butcher and baker is the second restaurant that's in there. And so I worked in there when it was a sign shop. Uh, My wife, Molly and I worked for a good friend um, at the sign shop there. Now in this building, about halfway back, there was this giant carriage door and we would, typically leave that closed because in the front of the shop we had to keep the printers nice and clean so we usually kept that carriage door closed and in the back of the shop we would do kind of the dirty work cutting sanding painting that kind of stuff and it was just a normal day and I was working in the back and I think I was cleaning up some substrate edges and I was using a knife 
and uh, like a, a utility knife blade. And I was just kind of, I was working off a set of sawhorses, kind of just scraping the edges of the signs. And um, I, I eventually went and got a metal file and I used the file, but that didn't do what I want, needed it to. So I walked about six, seven feet away and I put the file on a four by eight work table. Then I walked back over and I'm right up against the carriage door and I continued doing what I was doing. And then all of a sudden something whizzed past my leg, hit the wall and then the floor. I look down, there's a metal file on the floor. I look at the work table, there's no metal file on it anymore. And there's a slight dent in the wood right next to where my leg was. And so I'm looking back and forth, trying to figure this out. Like, oh, geez, what, uh, what the heck was that? How did it get from over there across the room and hit the wall before hitting the floor? I don't know if that's physically possible. And then I kind of started to think, wait a second, was that supposed to hit me? So I don't know if any of you out there listening have had uh, an incident where something was thrown at you or, or just moved suddenly. But that was that was unsettling at first, just because this was around 2007, um, when we just moved in, into Port Gamble, I think. But just thinking, oh my gosh, was that supposed to hit me? I don't know. <laughs> That's pretty interesting. Um, and in that place, activities, you know, I pretty rare. It's it's very sparingly in that location, um, but it's right off the highway here. And once you kind of get onto Rainier Avenue, um, all these houses that are on this street are, are just beautiful houses. They look different than the residential houses because they were employee built. So they, the company let people build their own homes if they can afford it. And then what they would do is since you have your, your house on company property, they would have you sign a 50 or 100 year lease to pay them ground rent every year for $1 a year pretty good deal if you sign the 100-year lease, I guess. Um, but they're all employee-built homes, and you can really tell those because, you know, stained glass windows, uh, spindled pilasters, transom windows, just nice woodworking, and just their overall design is different. Um, so it's beautiful. But uh, I want to get right to, because we're going to be running out of time here soon, it's 43 past the hour. I want to get to the Walker Ames house. Um, this is the place that, you know, I consider to kind of change my perspective on everything, made me a believer in the paranormal. Um, this place was built in 1888, finished in 1889, and was built for William Walker, his wife, Emma, and daughter, Maud. And uh, the year that the house was completed in 1889, the mill manager at the time, Edwin Ames, married Maud Walker. So he married William and Emma's daughter, Maud, and they all lived there till about 1900 together. And so that's how it gets its name, Walker Ames House. And William Walker was the master mechanic for the mill. He lit off the fireworks on 4th of July. They both sang uh, in the church choir. Um, very well liked in society here. And Ames was kind of the longest tenured manager um, of, the, of the town and company ultimately leaving around 1925. And, uh, but they all lived, all lived there together after the walkers had left, um, uh, various mill managers, uh, guy, Charles McCormick lived there, um, during the depression era. And then it became kind of the most expensive place to live, 
Um, so chances are, if you could afford the rent to live there, you had a good position in the company at the mill. And um, the last people to live there moved out in 1995 when the sawmill closed. So nobody's lived there since 1995, um, which makes it just remarkable for paranormal research. Now, this place has four floors. There's two main floors. There's an attic and a basement. And basically, when you go into this place, I would advise anybody going in there to turn your recorder on, your audio on before you go in. And I've learned this through experience. Don't turn it off until you are outside leaving, because inevitably when you turn your gear off, something's going to happen. But this is a place I would say has a mix of a haunting and imprint on, you know, on the location and intelligence and apparitional, you know, apparitional where it's, it's, it interacts with you and things like that. So I want to play you guys some some audio and pay attention to uh, as we kind of go through these i want you to pay attention to the voice the voices because some of them i think are the same um so i'll just set this one up this is um let's do uh let's see clip five now in this one this was just taken a couple weeks ago on a ghost walk tour and you'll hear kind of the the tour group kind of chuckle and then there's seems to be a voice so let's hear clip number five weird again so that kind of did that was none of us <laughs> And uh, that was a, a female voice, and I think it might say, hey, Pete, which is something that happens in there frequently. Um, so that was just taken a couple weeks ago um, during one of my ghost walk tours. So um, I really like that one. I like when, they, when they'll talk to me. I like that. I try and uh, uh, have that rapport with, with the residents there, our long-term residents. Now, this next one is going to be... Now we have a we were doing a ghost box audio session, and the voice in here I don't think was from the radio. I think it was actually in the room with us. So check it out, clip number six. Hello, you hear that? And you hear me react to it. Let's hear it again. Hello, you hear that? So there's a voice that seems to say, hey there, uh, which is something that's frequently heard in there. So again, it's a female voice. Um, now the next one is, I believe was taken on the same investigation and it's doing another ghost box audio session. And again, I'm not sure if this came through the ghost box or if it was in the room, but this time it's a different voice and it's, it's responding directly to me. And what I do if I'm doing an audio session with Ghostbox, I will often ask them to, if they want to give an answer, they also need to say my name along with their answer so I know that they, um, so that I know that they are not, or that they're talking directly to me. And so, um, let's see. Okay, so this one, there's a direct response to my question. So let's go ahead with um, clip number seven. Did you live across the street? Yes, Chief. 
Okay, let's hear it again. Did she live across the street? Okay, so I was asking about a girl spirit in the house if she lived across the street. And there seemed to be possibly a direct response to me that said, yes, Pete. Uh, now, remember, again, I'm always asking, hey, say my name along with it. Um, okay, so now um, this next one, well, these next three really were taken all within probably 10, 15 minutes of each other. Now, the first one, there's a voice that happens. See if you can pick it out. You'll hear my teammate, uh, Mary, she will, she hears it and she reacts to it. She says, Hey, I, what was that? I heard a voice. So see if you can hear it. We were just all standing around talking on the first floor. So let's hear with uh, clip number 10. There's no webs right there. No. Oh, what was that? I heard a voice. So listen for a voice out there. Go ahead again. There's no webs right there. No. So there's a female voice in there that sounds very much like the hey there or hey Pete. And it seems to say something like I'm here. And so we, we heard that. So we had gone upstairs and we were going to do, a, uh, some of the team was going to do a ghost box session in one of the back rooms on the second floor. I left my audio device on the first landing on the first floor in the, on the main staircase, pointed into kind of the front foyer area. And so some of us went and stood at the top of the stairs on the main staircase and um, started asking questions. You know, well, we heard you. You're here. Who are you? Can you tell us who you are? And so I'll let you hear for yourself. Let's go ahead with clip number 11. We're asking, who are you? Okay, we'll hear it again. So there's a young female voice in this one that seems to say a lady. And over the years of investigation, people have thought of, there's a person who says she's the lady of the house. But this person sounds pretty young to me, like maybe 10 years old, 8 to 10 years old. So after that, she said, you're a lady. Okay, well, uh, and this is disembodied. We were hearing this as it happened. So it was not EVP. We were hearing this as it happened. And in this second one, we're asked, okay, you're the lady. Who's the lady? Tell us your name. Go ahead with clip number 12. Let's hear it again. Annabelle. Annabelle. That's pretty unmistakable. You can hear the reverb on her voice, much like the reverb on our voices, on Mary's voice as she responds. One of the things that will always stick with me during that experience was the voice sounded like it came from right next to where I was standing because I was pretty close to the top of the staircase. There was a shock wave of energy. I'll tell you when a lady was spoken and Annabelle 
it was like a shockwave of energy went through the the hallway there and we were all in that shockwave um i remember my stomach just feel like it got blasted when she spoke um but that is a voice that is heard often in there and mediums over the years have talked about this woman named anna who's the lady of the house and other investigators too, well not just mediums so it was so interesting that she says that she's a lady and that her name is Annabelle. I'm still trying to learn more about her, but I consider her, she's my little buddy in there. Um, and, you know, I often will try and, and check in on her, but that is a voice that's heard in there pretty often. And uh, it's super impactful. I mean, that experience was, it will stick with me forever. Hearing that voice disembodied, hearing it so close to me. I'm wondering if any of you out there have had that experience where the, a disembodied voice seems to come from right next to you. Um, as startling as it may be, it's still awesome. And that's, that's what really keeps you going and in investigating is those experiences. Because most of the time when you're you know, doing these investigations, you feel like you're sitting around talking to yourself in the dark, um, you know, and, and kind of boring sometimes, but it's, when you have an experience like that, man, it's impactful. Um, well, I hope you enjoyed some of that stuff. If you want to listen to that again, and plus a lot more uh, pieces of audio evidence, if you go to portgambleparanormal.com um, and go to the evidence page, uh, you can hear all those again. So I encourage you to go check those out and listen for yourself again and see what you think was said. Um, so well, we're getting closer, about 54 past the hour it's getting late on the East Coast. Woo! Um, better get that coffee going. Um, but we're coming towards the end of the show, and I just wanted to mention a few things. So next week, I'm so honored and happy to have Mr. Neil McNeil uh, as my guest next week. Um, Tuesday night, 8 p.m. Uh, Pacific Time, 11 p.m. Eastern Time. And Neil is a parapsychologist, and he teaches people about parapsychology amazing investigator he's somebody i've learned so much from uh, and so i'm super honored to to have him as my first guest next week i'm really looking forward to that and there's a facebook event for it so if you go to the paranormal pete show page on facebook um, you can see the events there so definitely join that event and uh, i'm so looking forward to talking to neil he has just such really cool things to say and really thought-provoking i've even joked with Neil before because of parapsychology and the approach of parapsychology that I often joke with him that uh, when I'm done talking with him, I'm questioning everything about myself again. <laughs> what's real? What's not? Um, so he's definitely a thought provoker. Um, and so I'm looking forward to that. Tomorrow night, I hope you'll join um, Wendy and June and the gang on Mystic Moon Cafe Radio tomorrow night, 7 p.m. Pacific. Uh, I'll be joining their, them uh, as a guest, and we'll be talking about Port Gamble and, and all the different aspects here with the paranormal. Um, so hopefully you can check that out. You can find that at the Paranormal Pete Show Facebook page as well. Um, so check us out tomorrow night, 7 p.m. on that. And... Um, Again, I've got a virtual gallery reading coming up, and that's I'm kind of testing it out, see how it goes. I think it's going to go great. Um, gallery readings are pretty fun and always interesting. 
it's always, you never quite know what to expect it, but it's always interesting. So that's going to be December 12th. Tickets are 25 bucks. It's going to be an hour and a half. It may run long depending on what's coming through, but December 12th, and you can go to um, Paranormal Pete Show Facebook page and see that event. Or if you go to portgambleparanormal.com, go to the show page on there and there's ticket links and everything there. And that's going to be held via Google Meet. And so I'm looking forward to doing that. I'm just, I got to say, I'm just so happy to have this opportunity to do this show. And like I said, I want to bring you guys listening out there. I want to bring you guys cool stories, cool experiences. Um, well, I guess maybe some aren't cool because they're scary, but, um, you know, great experiences, uh, the paranormal and beyond. I want to bring you guys some awesome guests who are active in the paranormal field. Um, and I've got to meet a ton of them over the years doing the Port Gamble Ghost Conference. And <clears throat> so I'm super excited to bring you guys that uh, each week. And occasionally I'll do a show on my own with no guest. Um, but I'm looking forward to having a lot of great guests coming up. And um, yeah, and I'm hoping it, you know, as the show kind of grows, like I said, I'll be looking for that interactiveness. And, you know, if you're having something, if you're listening to me uh, out there and you've got something going on in your house and you're kind of freaked out a little bit, um, don't know, really know what's going on or need some help explaining it. I'm hoping that, you know, through the show, you can tell me what's going on and, and I can try and do a remote read on the location and maybe give you some insight um, as to what may be happening or it might even be you that's causing the activity and so we can hopefully figure out, figure that out for you. So look for that as um, look for that as we grow the show and continue on. But I'll be back next week. Um, I'll leave you. You know, check out all the shows um, on the station. There's a great lineup all week. So um, start following the station. And I want to thank you all for listening and, and joining me tonight on my first ever show. This has been such a cool experience. And um, on WLTKDB.com, and I'll leave you all with this. The past is history. The future's a mystery. But today's a gift because it's the present. Remember that. Hug your loved ones. Be in the present. Live for now. And we'll see you next week. Thank you. Well,